Hello and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. This episode and the next are in collaboration with the Centre for Mindful Eating to celebrate Mindful Eating Day 2018 with the theme of Compassionate Self-Care is Essential. I'm Fiona Sutherland accredited practicing dietitian and mindful eating practitioner from Melbourne, Australia and host of The Mindful Dietitian. I'm so proud to be bringing you these two interviews. The first with Megrette Fletcher, who is a co-founder of the Centre for Mindful Eating. And the second is Lynn Torstenson, who is an Irish-based nutritionist, also from the Centre for Mindful Eating. It has been my pleasure to be speaking with both Megrette and Lynn. And I hope you can join us for lots of the Mindful Eating Day celebrations, which includes a closed Facebook group, which you can just log into Facebook and look up Mindful Eating Day 2018. And every day from January 1st right through to the end of January, Lynn and I will be posting images and shareables and lots of tips to do with mindful eating practice and getting back in touch with your body and your mind particularly around the theme of compassionate self-care. So we've been so excited to work together, Lynn and I, developing all the Facebook content, and we hope you really enjoy it. In addition to that, the Centre for Mindful Eating will be hosting a series of interviews with mindful eating professionals to really help us develop a sense of self-care, to learn how to recognise heart or emotional hunger, and to find ways to satisfy it without necessarily eating, or maybe it's to reduce frequency and intensity. Most of all, the TCMA really is all about helping us to reconnect with the food and the eating experience from a place of authentic self-care and compassion. So as you will hear, that's very much in alignment with what I believe as well. So in these interviews, uh, some people that will be interviewed are Kristen Neff, Lynn Rossi, Lynn Torstenson, Rona Kabatsnik, Sharon Salzberg, and myself as well. So I was very honoured to be interviewed as part of this series for TCME's Mindful Eating Day. So thank you so much for being here. If you want more information about the Centre for Mindful Eating, you can find it on www.thecenterformindfuleating.org. And there you can sign up for any of the events associated with Mindful Eating Day, join us on the Facebook group, and find out more about the activities of TCME. I've been a member myself for quite a number of years now and I just love attending the webinars and getting involved in this community which is all over the world. It's a really exciting dynamic association to be part of. So please join us over there and uh, if you are not familiar with the uh, Mindful Dietitian then you can find us on www.themindfuldietitian.com.au which is a place for professionals, uh, particularly dietitians who are interested in the non-diet approach, health at every size, mindful eating and body, anything to do with bodies or body image, cultivating um, body contentment and body peace. So thank you so much for being here for these two very, very special interviews. It's been my pleasure to bring them to you. Hi. 
Hello and welcome to this very special interview with the wonderful Megret Fletcher. Many of you will already be very familiar with Megret, who is the co-founder of the Centre for Mindful Eating. And today I am going to be speaking with Megret to as part of the celebration for Mindful Eating Day, which is at the end of January 2018. So as part of this celebration, uh, which extends worldwide, there's going to be a Facebook group which is called Mindful Eating Day Celebration and uh, lots of other events, uh, perhaps some local to you and certainly is going to be lots of opportunities to get involved online as well. Uh, if you want any more information then make sure you go to the Centre for Mindful Eating website which is www.thecenterformindfuleating.org. Just remembering that centre is spelt C-E-N-T-E-R for those of you who are not based in the US. So let's move on to our amazing guest of honour, Megret Fletcher, and um, today we're going to be diving down into, um, into the principles of mindful eating. We're going to be talking a little bit about the evolution of uh, how we've, we've noticed that mindful eating has uh, shifted over time and, and Megret is, uh, you know, she not only has a very deep practice but um, is, you know, very wise with anything to do with mindfulness and mindful eating. So, you know, we'll be super excited to hear from her. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about, um, you know, some of the major tripping points, uh, assumptions and confusions that can come along with mindful eating. Um, and we're going to be just pausing and talking about the importance of really connecting with the core elements of mindful eating. Um, and I know Magret has uh, some wisdom to share with us today. So, well, let's get into it. So welcome, Magret. Thank you, Fiona, so much uh, for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, goodness. It's, um, it's, it's my pleasure. And um, so, well, why don't we just dive straight in? Because I know we, we've had a conversation before about some of the uh, most common assumptions that people make about mindful eating and how this creates confusion, not only within our general community, but also amongst health professionals. So I guess I'm, I'm really interested to hear your, your thoughts about um, what are the most common assumptions people tend to make about mindful eating and how can this get in our way of understanding and connecting with the, you know, the main principles of mindful eating? Um, thank you. I think that that's a great topic to, like you say, dive deep into. Um, the purpose of mindful eating is to be present when eating. And so mindfulness is a core element in pretty much any change practice. And because it's a fundamental principle, a fundamental concept, um, it's very easy for us who are learners, so healthcare professionals that are very um, good at learning, it's easy for us to, you know, kind of think, well, that's, that's not really the, the point. I want to get to balancing the macronutrients or I really want to get them to, you know, release their frustrations or anger or blame or shame. And we're kind of looking past this fundamental ability to be present. And so what happens, I think, sometimes is people, professionals 
don't actually realize how challenging it can be to be present. Um, sometimes as professionals, we feel like we're not really doing anything because what we're providing is space to be in the present moment. And in our busy society, that's actually such a gift. We're also not offering information when we're practicing mindfulness. We're deeply listening. And as we listen so deeply, there's this trust, there's this almost sacredness, a bond that's created. And it's an intimacy, it's a, a witnessing that's very, very transformative, but it, it doesn't have any calories or numbers or goals or steps. And that for many healthcare professionals in our see one patient right after another sort of life, that, that may be actually very new. That may be very unfamiliar. And so there can be a, a desire to think, well, the patient actually isn't here for me to listen deeply to them and create the space so they can be with their own thoughts and feelings and listen, hear, have inquiry. What's really going on? Um, it's easy to minimize that and step over to the next task. But actually being present fully for our clients allows our clients to be present fully for themselves. Mm. Mm, absolutely. That was brilliantly um, pulled together because what we really are aiming to provide space for is, you know, that, that's the essence of role modeling, isn't it? You know, being mm. so present with the experience of another person, whether that is pleasant or unpleasant or somewhere in between that our ability to tolerate you know, a variety of um, a variety of energy levels or a variety of distress levels. Um, that it's also great training for us to be able to stay present with whatever arises, with grace and wisdom, and to and what you're saying is that our tendency to rush forward from this moment actually provides us a disservice. And then our clients are disservice. Is that what you're saying? It is. It is exactly what I'm saying. And, and I'm guilty of it, Fiona. I remember being with suffering and, and I'm with suffering every day as all healthcare professionals are. And it's hard. Um, it's painful. And, it's so easy for me to put on my armor, which is the expert. You know, I can, I can slip into that, you know, I know mode very easily. Or I can maybe not be the expert, but I could be the teacher. And that's creating emotional distance. 
that's to me turning around saying it's hard for me to be present with what is here because suffering is hard to be with mm-hmm. that's that's it it's hard for our clients to be with too mm-hmm. so how how can mindfulness and mindfulness practice really assist us to be with the experience of another mm. this year the theme is compassionate self-care mm. and i think compassion is really it's it's the key this is really it so as our clients are suffering if we can role model that compassion if we can be present with that delightful curiosity you know i really am present with my client and i really know that they're suffering how can i get my client to be interested in the causes of suffering or in the possible solutions that they have access to to ease the suffering mm. and it's amazing to me when i ask my clients my clients will often cry in my office cuz i have that knack yes. um <laughs> and i'll say to them um would you be willing just to sit in your chair um with your back supported and your feet flat on the ground and they'll say yes and i'll say okay and they'll be upset i'll say you know could we take some deep breaths together and we'll take five deep breaths together and i'll assess how we're doing and we might take five more but usually between 5 and 15 deep breaths that pain that they were experiencing has shifted it's mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. and in five deep breaths they just discovered mindfulness yeah in five deep breaths they just discovered mindfulness mm-hmm. and i'll say to them how do you feel and they go i feel better and the interesting or perhaps some might say ironic thing about that is that often in our attempts to to fix or to make things better we miss out on the opportunities that can actually help us be with or shift in very subtle ways our experience mm-hmm. to help us deal with life's difficulties It's so true and I I think you're hinting at that writing reflex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so so I'm going to give them a solution. Well, you know, I know that you're really upset. So how about if you uh change your percent of carbohydrates to fat and then maybe you know we can just go right back into this writing. Well, how about if you check your blood sugars? Well, maybe if you brought a snack instead of being with our patient suffering. because mm-hmm. as we are with them and they're with the suffering and we'll go now that's it's really hard that was a really difficult moment and our clients are like it was that was excruciatingly painful and mm-hmm. you go right what are your options mm-hmm. and they go well my options are a b and c 
And we go, well, of those options, what do you think you want to pursue? And they'll go, well, A won't work. Good to know. How about B and C? B might work. I think C would work. Oh, okay. I think if I do C, that would help me. Excellent. So just by being present and, and bringing that curiosity, getting our clients to start um, really getting interested in their own, inviting their own awareness um, to the situation. It's called evocation. Mm -hmm. um, we can really have them find their own solutions. And that actually builds confidence. Yeah. Confidence and actually skills, you know, actually practical skills of being with, being with ourselves and also being with others and our environment too, which often doesn't make it easy for people who, who want to take care of themselves um, or who may want, wish to take care of themselves from a compassionate place. Um, so I, I was go, uh, what I was going to ask is, you know, if I was in the room with you, Megret, what would I notice you, how would I notice you sitting or what would I notice you um, saying? And then you went ahead and you said exactly what you would say, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, what are you, while you're having this conversation, what are you reminding yourself as the, as the, as the practitioner in the room? My clients have the answers. Mm -hmm. I don't have the answer. My client has the answer. And how does that reminder keep you on track and help you stay present? I think what it does is it takes my somewhat over um, eager ego mm -hmm. and it tries to put it back in its place. I would love to be the hero in every story. I would love to be like the Wonder Woman character dietitian, but I'm not. And she doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And what I have is a really able patient who doesn't know that they're able. Mm -hmm. And that's my job is to say, you got this. Mm -hmm. You got this. Mm -hmm. Let's find that answer. And when my client comes back to me and says, Megret, I, I don't have it. I, I really don't. I go, okay. So it would help you to do some learning. Yes. They say, I don't have this. I go, so it would help you to get more support. Yes, yes, it would help me. I, I don't have this, so it would help you to get more confidence. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, that would help me. Okay, well, where can we get learning? Where can we get support? How do we build confidence? They have to tell me those answers. Even when they tell me they don't have it, they have it because they have to tell me where they're going to get it from. Yeah. So yeah. the client holds all the answers. Mm -hmm. And again, it takes time to get those answers out of the client. And if I'm rushing, 
if I'm thinking that well, I can just give him this handout, you know, if I just gave him this handout and told him, you know, if you just did like a little ratio between your macronutrients and then checked your blood sugars and make sure you take a medicine, I'm going to write it all down. You, know, you can see how easy it is to get really busy. Yeah. And do you notice that there are ways in which mindful eating and mindful eating uh, practices have really become tangled up in this need to reach a certain point or to be a certain way or to achieve a certain goal to the point where there are where the waters have become quite muddied when it comes to mindful eating what have your been what have been your observations around around this Right. An excellent question. So the Center for Mindful Eating does have some position papers in addition to the principles of mindful eating. And those position papers um, are intended to guide us uh, out of that muddy water. So back into the clear water, back into the, the real flow or stream of mindfulness and mindful eating. And one of the things that I always want to clarify is the Center for Mindful Eating is, it's an evidence-based organization. We are not talking about unproven treatments. Mm -hmm. This is all evidence-based. We have some of the greatest minds, researchers around mindfulness practice, around mindful eating. And that is so important. So it's, this is all evidence-based. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very important to understand that if you decide to say, well, I think this is mindful eating, you could learn, is it mindful eating? Instead of thinking it's mindful eating, you could learn, this is mindful eating. Yes. Um, and that, I think, is a great resource because before the Center for Mindful Eating was here, you didn't know. So it's really there to help get us out of the mud and get us back into that nice blue water, nice deep blue water, nice evidence-based best clinical practices, blue water of mindfulness-based practice. And, and mindfulness-based practice applied to food and eating is mindful eating. Yes. So this is so delicious to me. I, I, I'm trying so hard to be not jumping off the rooftop screaming because to me this is like the best yeah yeah to go to be able to go to one place where i know i'm very aware of the of the time effort energy wisdom brain power number of degrees number of hours spent sitting um number of teachers that has gone into uh, that has gone into the development of the principles and the position statements and what a wonderful resource so that people can uh, access evidence-based um, evidence-based information to be able to understand uh, and clarify what how, how mindfulness and eating food and nutrition all intersect um, and to bring it into our own personal practice which I'm very passionate about um, so it's not only about our professional practice but also our personal practice 
to be able mm. to pause and not leap into and how can I use this in my professional practice but um, to be able to first learn ourselves and to understand you know, what are the tripping points for ourselves? What are those moments when we do feel, you know, as if we're rushing into the next moment and rushing into analysis or criticism or, um, you know, um, you know, trying to um, pick something apart and experience apart rather than just simply being with it in a spirit of, of curiosity. So I'm uh, on that topic, the spirit of curiosity, I'm interested in your thoughts as to how, what, what are the main elements of mindful eating you think that, pro, that provide the most confusion for people? What do you see as the, as, the main, um, as the main tripping points or assumptions that are made about mindful eating? Yes, well, I think the first one is, is that um, the biggest tripping point is, is that it's a diet. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not a diet. And I was, people ask me a lot about that. They go, um, well, I mean, isn't mindful eating about eating less? And I go, for some people, that is, in fact, the result. I said, but not for everyone. For some people, it's eating more. Isn't it about not, you know, it's about like only eating really healthy foods. And I said, for some people, that's how it manifests itself. But for other people, it's not. So the biggest tripping point is, is that you can't stick a this will happen label on it because this will happen is a future moment statement. Yes. And, and mindfulness is a present moment experience. So I like just to reiterate what the five facets of mindfulness are just to ground people again back in the research. And so, um, Ruth Baer, who's a researcher, you know, created these five facets of mindfulness. And there's a questionnaire, but it's, it's good stuff just to understand what's the bones of this. So the first one is um, observing, just observing, you know, oh, I'm observing. What are you observing? You could observe a lot. You could observe your environment. You can observe your emotions. You can observe your thoughts. So observing, describing. So I not only am I observing it, but I could describe it. And I think the description a lot of times is, Fiona, something that you did organically. Is this experience pleasant? Is it neutral? Is it unpleasant? Is it both pleasant and unpleasant at the same time? Which happens a lot. Sometimes life is a mixed bag and it's hard to really tease out exactly what's happening. It could be good. It could be bad. And I have that moment of ambivalence happens all the time with my patients. And we know that ambivalence is why our clients are there. They're struggling to figure out, you know, the chocolate cake is really good and also not good. The broccoli is really good and also not good. I don't know how to resolve that conflict. And so if we're rushing to give them an answer, we're failing to be with the conflict. And so that's important. 
So we not only want to observe, we want to describe, we want to act with awareness. That's very different than reacting habitually, which is a lot of what we do. We would like to really help people have non-judging of inner experience. So when we feel bloated, when we feel um, fit, when we feel tired, when we feel happy, when we feel sad, when we feel confused, we're not going to think I'm good or I'm bad as a result of that experience. We are hopefully going to go back to observing, describing, and acting with awareness to say those experiences are present. And then the last one is non-reactivity to our inner experience. So when we feel an experience, we're not going to react to it. We're going to just go, oh, that experience is present. Hmm. In the past, I might have thought X or I might have reacted in a Y way. But now that I'm practicing mindfulness, I'm going to observe and describe and I'm going to not judge it and I'm just going to make a decision and recognize this is probably the most compassionate thing I could do at this moment. And that's mindful eating. That's mindfulness. It feels like, Megret, and please um, correct me if I'm not on track here, it feels like a lot of the tripping points, assumptions and confusions around mindfulness and mindful eating could almost be understood through the lens of us desiring to rush through the process or desiring to control an outcome. Just as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, it, 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 we keep coming back to the same point. We keep coming back to the same point, <laughs> and that is our um, our desire or our the pull to not be in the present moment, ironically, in order to tick tick off a goal or in order to to be somewhere else. Feels like maybe that's what gets in most human beings' way. And and I would say absolutely, and we as professionals are also in a state of ambivalence because we're also hired to create goals and to move clients through a process. So we are in a state of ambivalence and that's why we need um, resources like the Mindful Dietitian and the Center for Mindful Eating because the solution is not one size fits all. The solution is within you, the professional, how do I find this balance? And yes, it's not going to be a monastery where you're chanting. It's going to be an appointment where you're helping a client who is there for probably a medical reason, um, but is there seeking your services, your expertise to resolve their own ambivalence. So it's not just the client that's in ambivalence, it's both of us. And we have to find a balance. And that's where um, the compassionate um, response 
pertains to us, the practitioner as well. So many times I'm with my clients and they are suffering and I know that they're suffering. And I also know that my next patient is waiting and I'm trying to find the right moment where I can say, I need to end this appointment and it's hard. And some days it's easier than others, but there's no one way to do it. There's no one answer. And it's, it's definitely, I know that tug, I know that pull to move on very well. And I'm imperfect at it as well. Yes, I, I think there's probably no perfect way to to do that, is there? You know, but being able to understand how to be kind and compassionate in what is inevitably a difficult situation where you're aiming to set um, boundaries for yourself and for your and for your client as well. Um, that these are yeah, some of our our natural dilemmas as professionals, aren't they? You know, that we have to. Um, uh, not have to, but we're, we're invited to make some tricky decisions, but that we do so from a place of, of care, both for ourselves and for the person in front of us as well. Yes, yes. And that's where supervision and working with uh, other professionals that have experience and getting supports for ourselves so we can feel more comfortable navigating this difficult space. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel like that is a tripping point um, because you'll, you'll meet people and they'll describe how to do things and it, they're so articulate. They make it seem so easy and you think, I must be doing it wrong because they're not struggling at all and I'm really struggling. And I think to myself, well, in my assessment, this is hard and struggling means you're trying. So my guess is, is that if it's hard for you, you're probably doing it right because it's hard what we're doing um, and it's not easy and we need supports and we need to talk with other people and get supports for ourselves compassionately. And it's okay to have it be easy some days and it's 100% okay to have it not be easy other days. Mm. Mm. And the importance that you're really emphasizing is making sure that we're getting our own supports so that we're um, filling our own cups. And uh, I hear this again and again and again from the people in our field whose work I admire the most and whose, um, whose work I follow. And that is the importance of supervision. And I know, um, I, I really carry on about supervision a lot and I think it's for good reason um, and that is you know being able to find a space for ourselves where we can feel safe to explore dilemmas and, um, and the complexities the inherent complexities of the work that we do um, because we're often being asked to do things um, in a way that doesn't necessarily align with our values or doesn't necessarily align with um, uh, you know how we would prefer to be as as health professionals um, but and and those are those are some dilemmas that we can um, certainly you know take to supervision and um, and um, and take to the mat or take to your cushion as well that's a good place too mm. <laughs> yes yes so supervision is another practice um, it's another way that we can 
always help ourselves and say, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can get the support and guidance from people that have gone before me. And that in time, it's very likely that I will be um, somebody who can offer supervision for others. You know, the, um, the image I always have is we're like monkeys in a barrel and one arm is hooked underneath the person below you and your arm is hooked to the person above you. We're all pulling ourselves out. So I may be pulling somebody out of the mud, but somebody's pulling me out of the mud. And so we're all in it together. And this idea of getting supervision, giving supervision, offering supports, being in a group, allowing ourselves to help each other, I think is uh, is compassionate. I think it's necessary. So, yeah, that's beautifully explained. Thank you so much. And we're going to be. I'm going to be. Um also speaking with um, some other incredible supervisors who are going to be talking to us a bit about um, supervision and how we can engage in supervision in a way that really supports us to build our skills. Uh, so uh, is there anything else, Magret, that, um, that you would like people to know about the Centre for Mindful Eating or about Mindful Eating Day? It's... I think Mindful Eating Day is still um, a new concept for a lot of people. It's a terrific opportunity for you to think about your January message, which for a lot of us uh, who are um, non-dieting dietitians and healthcare professionals, we're not buying into uh, diet culture. It's a way for us to really craft a message that can help um, maybe not drowned out, but definitely counter all of those New Year's resolutions that are often um, in the closet by the second or third day and really help people understand that self-care is complex and that it is a practice. And so by joining forces for Mindful Eating Day um, and helping our clients develop a practice, I think it's really moving society in a very kind, needed direction. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. This will be our third Mindful Eating Day, won't it? So it's a wonderful international celebration of, um, uh, of, everything, of everything mindful eating. So uh, what I'll do is... I'll attach lots of links to this podcast and, and of course, for any further information, then um, please check out the Centre for Mindful Eating, which is www.thecenter4mindfuleating.org. So thank you so much, Magret. Really um, sincere gratitude for your time and energy and for everything that you contribute both to um, both professionally and, and personally. Um, I know that you, you commit lots of lots of time, energy and wisdom into your, into your, into your work and, and your personal life and just so grateful to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye.